Hello, everyone. Welcome to the TF Blockchain Podcast, where we interview blockchain and digital currency innovators building our distributed future. I'm your host and founder of TF Blockchain, Jonathan G. Blanco. TF Blockchain hosts premier conferences, events, and media featuring blockchain leaders actively growing the industry. With our platform, we are connecting business and technology executives with blockchain innovators leading the charge. Through our interactive speaker presentations, facilitated networking sessions, and our video and podcast series. Before we get started, wanted to tell you about our consulting arm, TF Agency, where we work with blockchain companies, companies looking to adopt the technology, entrepreneurs and investors looking to understand the space, and with those looking to grow their career in this emerging industry. For more information, please email us at info at tfagency.io. In this episode, we pass the microphone over to Raul Sood, CEO and founder of Unicorn, the leading esports blockchain platform, as he conducts a live fireside chat at TF3, our TF blockchain conference held on March 28, 2019. Raul interviews Kieran Raj, Chief Strategy Officer of Bitrix, a top blockchain and cryptocurrency exchange based in the US. Raul and Kieran discuss the history behind Bitrix, how Unicorn is leading the market in esports with blockchain, the regulatory clarity in the U.S. versus other parts of the world, listing processes, and what's in store for the landscape of crypto and blockchain moving forward. This conversation took place before the recent lift in crypto markets and Bitcoin that started on April 1st, 2019. I enjoyed listening to this talk in person from these two leaders in crypto and blockchain, and this session was one of our most talked about after the event. I hope you enjoy this fireside chat. Well, first, how many of you heard of Unicorn? Okay. Wow. That's great. Good to see. Um, oh, nice. Thank you. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm, I'm actually just going to spend a few minutes talking about um, our crazy intersection that we sit in before. Uh, and, and then after I do that, I'm going to invite Kieran um, from Bitrix up to, to do a chat. And um, I, I want to talk about this, you know, this this intersection that we're in, and it's sort of from my perspective. It's not about like talking about unicorns so much, but it's talking about how we applied our application into this into this space. So, unicorn sits at the intersection of um, esports and video games, um, blockchain technology, and regulated gambling, and and so it's it's kind of a crazy place to be. Um, because you know, esports is obviously well. If you don't know, it's it's like the fastest growing sport right now, um, and that includes uh, streaming. That includes all of the all of the things that are happening in the video game space online, where people are watching other people play. Um, then we're on the regulated gambling side, which you know, being in a regulated business, working with regulators and licenses is is complex enough. And then you've got you know, blockchain, which you know, quite honestly. There is not enough regulation, in, and, the, and when there is regulation, it's applying kind of um, uh, you know older laws into a space, and it's really challenging, especially being in the U.S. Um, because there's not a lot of regulatory clarity, you know. And and so I think I'm probably in one of the most stressful jobs in the world, but also it's super fun. Um, let me. I'm not going to get into like the size of the market and stuff, but I just want to kind of display this for illustration purposes. On the left side is spectator betting, where, where people bet on odds on matches. So they can watch a match, they get odds that are presented in front of them, and they can place bets on those, ma on those matches. So it's very similar to watching an NFL game. 
Um, you know, and there's odds on certain actions happening within the game, and you place a bet. On the right-hand side, it's about betting on your own skill, um, where somebody can connect their, uh, you know, a game of Fortnite to, to the account. Anyone heard of Fortnite before? Yeah. So Fortnite, Dota, um, uh, right now League of Legends, and then a few other games. But a customer can come to our platform, connect their Fortnite account to the platform, and then they're presented with odds. They're actually presented with betting markets. Like, you know, on League of Legends, for example, you get a betting market for an outright win. You get a, a betting market for an outright win with no deaths. And you get a betting market for an outright win with a four, um, you know, streak, like a four, a four kill streak, you could call it. So basically what I'm saying is you can bet on yourself in those video games. Now, the reason why we went to blockchain or the reason why we, we decided to create this coin, in the center of this, we have something called the Unicoin that we created. We created it because this audience, like in order to capture this audience, we wanted to give them an incentive to come to the platform and start connecting their accounts to the platform. So a few years ago, we created the Unicoin as a means of incentive, but also because we're in a highly regulated space, which is the wagering space, we wanted to be able to have customers from around the world using our platform. So we created a coin that at the time was non-transferable, could not be bought or sold, could not be traded, and we made it so that people could collect those coins by connecting their games to the platform. And when they did that, we collected a ton of data. And that is how we're able to create odds on their chances of winning these matches. So it's, it's a really unique way of using blockchain technology, but it's also very seamless, um, given that I think somebody mentioned earlier that they, they, or I think it was you that mentioned, you know, you saw a company that is, is making blockchain seamless, so it's, it's not in the user's face. Nobody knows this is on blockchain, but it actually is. Um, so, you know, we have this esports book. It's got live markets. It uses cryptocurrencies. It uses fiat currencies. Um, and we have access to all of these markets around the world. And, and the reason we have access to all of these markets around the world is because last year we applied for a license from the Isle of Man. Uh, we were working in Malta and the Isle of Man. We're now the only company on earth with a, uh, a gambling license from the Isle of Man that supports live sports betting, live esports betting. Um, our skill-based platform and online casino using cryptocurrency and fiat currency. Nobody has this yet. Getting a, a, a gambling license with cryptocurrency is like impossible. Um, and the reason, well, we've worked with them for about a year. The reason we were able to get it was because of the way we handle things like AML and KYC. Being a self-regulated company, we said, how can we apply blockchain technology to this space in a meaningful way? And they really liked the way we built the platform. So, you know, in the last year, we, we, we got this license. We built U-Mode, which is the, the skill betting technology that I, I spoke to you about. That's actually launched in 41 states across the U.S., not including Washington State, because online gambling is not legal or betting on yourself is not legal here yet. Um, <clears throat> we also created something called Unicorn Jet, which is a, a, a blockchain-based uh, technology. It's, it's, a, it's a wagering system. It's a back-end wagering system for our platform. But what's neat about it is it supports 9,000 transactions per second. Um, so it's, it's, it's really cool. And then we also created like a unique wallet system to be able to handle different currencies and that sort of thing on the platform. So you know, the, the, the reason that we did all of this, um, the reason that we, we built on blockchain in the first place, is because we're in a highly regulated space. And because when we're dealing with regulators, they like the transparency that we offer them. We also have something called responsible gambling, where you know a customer who places bets, they want to see their entire history of betting. Um, you can do this now on a ledger. So our space is like the ideal space 
to apply blockchain technology to, whether it's like in commerce, uh, you know, regulated gambling, um, that sort of thing. I think I think definitely we're we're way ahead of the market right now. If we look at other online betting operators, I would anticipate that Unicorn is about three to five years ahead of everyone else, um, and that is because of the technology that we that we built this around. So um, so with that said, I I wanted to bring up Kieran uh, Raj from Bitrix. Um, Kieran is the the CSO, the Chief Strategy Officer for Bitrix. He's also the CEO of Bitrix International. And we'll talk about that, um, his company, in just a second. So come on up. Yeah. So um, I have some questions for you. I'm just going to pull out my phone because I, I took some notes beforehand and just in case I miss any. So. All right. Yeah. So Kieran, is that how I pronounce your name? That is, yes. I'm just kidding. I'm Indian, so I know how to pronounce <laughs> your name as well. Um, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So, um, you know, I started my career actually across the way here at Microsoft. I worked as a software engineer in the Windows group for a number of years, and then um, I was told by my then girlfriend, now wife, that she was going to medical school, so I better go to law school. So I did, and became a lawyer and started working in intellectual property law, which actually led me to the Department of Justice. So I worked at the Department of Justice for a number of years for the Deputy Attorney General, a role that nobody knew about a year ago, but now everybody knows the Deputy Attorney General at the Department of Justice. Uh, and my focus there was cybersecurity and national security. And so from there, I actually moved over to the Department of Homeland Security, where I was the Deputy General Counsel, uh, also focused on cybersecurity issues. Uh, from there, I uh, did a little bit of a stint as a partner at a law firm until I joined Bitrix. Great. That's that's interesting. So you know, let's let's talk about Bitrix. Um, how many of you know who Bitrix is? That's great. Good. So it's about the same Good. number of people that know <laughs> Unicorn. Um, I saw more hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably. <laughs> um, so so Bitrix is an interesting. Has a very interesting story. Can can we just talk about the founding of Bitrix and um, you know, I, I sort of think of it as yes, people in this room know who you are, but. You know, quite honestly, it's kind of an undiscovered gem in the Pacific Northwest, right? So. Yeah, it is. It's a. Uh, it was you know, again born and bred across the lake here, um, and it was founded by three individuals. Uh, all three of them had about 20 plus years of uh, security engineering experience at companies like Microsoft and Amazon. And um, there's a whole history about how they got started. Some of it involves like Bitcoin mining in the early days when you'd actually go on Craigslist you know, meet somebody at a Safeway parking lot and pick up video cards. Um, that's how they got interested in blockchain many, many years ago. But they did see the Mt. Gox hack, right? So everybody knows, like, is one of the most famous hacks, or infamous, depending on how you look at it. And they thought, you know what, we can do it better, right? We are security engineers. We have 20-plus years of experience. So they said, let's build an exchange where people can buy and sell various different blockchain projects like Bitcoin, Ethereum, things of that nature. But let's build it from the ground up with security in mind. And so that's actually the founding principle of Bitrix, which is you know, why we were started by three uh, cybersecurity and security engineers. Okay, so let's talk about that just a little bit. So um, company was started um, by, by, by three security people, right? Mm -hmm. Worked at Microsoft. Um, it, it's, it's a grounds up company. Did you get funding? No, it's a completely self-funded company. So they, they tried to get funding, right? They tried to get funding uh, from some venture capitals in the area, and they were told the one piece of feedback they were given is, 
Uh, Bittrex sounds too much like Bitcoin, so change your name. Uh, but we're not going to fund you. It's pretty amazing, right? I mean, that that tells me that. Um, so, so you're saying that a uh, somebody who worked in a venture capital firm said, "Change your name, or we won't fund you." <laughs> Hopefully, that person is either not doing venture capital anymore, or if he is, he's probably looking back and kicking himself. Um, let, let's talk about that then. So, you you weren't able to raise money. Uh, when exactly? So that was in about 2015. You tried to raise yeah, money. Yeah, about 2015. Okay. That's right. And I I remember speaking to Bill, uh, the CEO, who. Um, He's a good friend of yours. Yeah, so Bill and I actually worked together for a number of years in Microsoft about, you know, I guess 18 years ago now when we were both there uh, in the Windows group. So I've kept in touch with them through this whole time. Right. So I remember speaking with him, um, and he mentioned that he was still working at Amazon in, like, 2016. Can, can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I think, you know, he, uh, again, he was in the security group at Amazon at the time and was... Um, you know, mining Bitcoin a little bit on the side and had decided um, that Bitcoin was a fad, right? Like this thing is done with because I think there was a price crash and it was down to like $5. So he ended up uh, formatting his hard drive, which had his private keys for about 300 Bitcoin because, you know, Bitcoin's never going to be worth anything was his theory. And so, um, you know, after it bounced back a little bit later, he, um, he realized, one, uh, he should never give, like he has no idea about trading and you know, what's going to hit and what's not. But two, it was also like another reason why we should have an exchange that is focused on innovation, right? Like we actually have no idea what's going to be the next big thing, what's going to be the next Bitcoin, what's going to be the next Ethereum. And, but we want to have a platform where you know, people can you know, get exposure to those different projects. So I think that was part of his thought process back when he was at Like Amazon. discovering new blockchains and that sort of thing. Yeah. But I'm going back to this entrepreneurial story. So let me just give you some background here. So, you know, I, I used to be with Microsoft Ventures, and I've probably um, been involved helping startups, like say around 300 startups raise money and, you know, go on to do great things or not. Um, I've never heard a startup story like Bittrex's before. Like, it's very rare. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm going to just come out and say it and just, you know, you, yeah. can, you can add color if you'd like. But... I feel like Bitrix is probably one of the fastest growing companies that, you know, ever in the area, let's say. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, you guys are hiring like crazy, right? Um, you didn't raise any money and you really, the, the, the founders weren't full time until 2016. Am I correct? Yeah, I think that's right. I'm not sure they were, I think it might have been a little bit before that, but yeah, that's yeah. about right. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff was just on the side they were doing in their spare time. And then... You know, it turned out it's actually really hard to run a cryptocurrency trading platform, so they decided to do it full time. That's great. Okay, so you started to do it full time once the the money started rolling in, I guess, um, and you're you're entirely self funded. So, what does your cap table look like? Uh, it's it's pretty clean. Pretty clean. Okay. <laughs> okay. Great. Okay. So so then let's let's talk about um, the challenges now. I, it was really interesting um, to hear Victor speak earlier um, because you know. His his story is amazing. First of all, um, you know, coming in an asylum and all of that stuff, and and talking about you know building a a company in a space that is is sort of weird regulation, right? In the U.S., when it comes to say, for example, the ICOs, who who really didn't have a working product at a time or whatever, they had to sort of figure out ways to raise money outside of the U.S. Um, but you know, there was this time when when people were selling tokens that, you know, maybe for working platforms um, back in 2017, as you know, with the bull market. Um, my, my question to you is, what is it like w 
building a highly regulated company or a company that, you know, in a highly regulated space, let's say, uh, you know, building an exchange in the U.S., being based in the U.S., what's it like and what are your challenges? Well, it, it's really difficult for a couple of different reasons. First of all, um, you know, I, I think um, sometimes people think crypto is unregulated and in some ways it is outside the United States. But in the United States, like Bittrex has 58 different regulators, like 58 different state or federal bodies who have some oversight over what we do, which you can imagine uh, how difficult that might be and how sometimes we get conflicting advice from our regulators or, or questions, right? So we have all, we have money, we're uh, registered as a money service business with the Department of Treasury and, and FinCEN. We have, you know, obviously CFTC, because we only list uh, things that are uh, considered commodities, so not securities. Uh, but as we, we, I know people talk about, that's a very hard distinction, right? It's based on a four-factor test. So the people who love that are the lawyers, because they can spend a lot of time looking at the different, uh, you know, different facts and factors. And we have all the different states that have, you know, different money license permits that we have to get. So, you know, we can be audited by anyone at any time. So it's actually like very different from a regulatory overhead perspective on the one hand. And on the other hand, you do have a lot of our, you know, because crypto and blockchain in general is a, you know, border, you know, it's a worldwide business, right? So borders don't really matter in the traditional sense. And so we have a lot of our competitors who don't have the same oversight that we do. And so, you know, things like uh, front running or other such things that, you know, could go on in international environments where, you know, uh, that really implicates the entire space, but obviously would not happen in the United States because not only, you know, would we never allow that, but also the regulators wouldn't allow that. Right. So, okay. So then how, how do you compete with these other exchanges internationally, um, you know, from that standpoint, given the, you know, the highly regulated nature of the business, you know, I'm in the gambling business and I know what it's like to work in a highly regulated environment, work by the book and then have, you know, um, operators from from across the world just just take bets online, you know, in the U.S. Right, and that's that's kind of frustrating. But it's also like, uh, how do you deal with that in in your business? Yeah, I mean, part of it is education, right? We try to explain to to consumers and others, institutions, uh, corporates that you know you want to be with a U.S. based platform because of all the regulation that goes around with it, and frankly, with Bitrix in particular, our focus on security our focus on innovation. So part of it is an educational piece. But the other one is it is just really difficult to compete in an unlevel playing field when we do have some of our international competitors who are you know, coming into the United States, they're not registering with FinCEN, they're not doing all the other things that we have to do. So that's, you know, that's just one piece of it. The second piece, though, is that we have you know, had to actually uh, we've uh, incorporated some of the companies overseas. So we actually have an entity now that's a European-based entity that, you know, that entity does not take U.S. customers, but it focuses on the European rules, which are actually, you know, we have one regulator there, and the rules are much more clear. And so, you know, we can get, um, you know, projects up and running much faster because there's a lot more clarity. So we've had to actually move some of the business overseas. That's great. So, so you, that's Bitrix International you're talking about, right? Correct. Right, and and that's where you're doing these these IEOs from. Is that correct? That's right. Can, yeah. Can we explain to everyone what an IEO is if they don't already know? Sure. So an IEO is called an uh, initial exchange offering. So under our Bitrix International brand, which is regulated by 
in Europe, we are allowed to offer various different uh, projects to our uh, international customers so that they, you know, it's at a fixed price and they can uh, buy in until a particular supply is exhausted. So, um, you know, the nice thing about that, unlike, say, the ICOs that were occurring before, is that the exchange is responsible for doing the anti-money laundering and the know your customer rules and also ensuring that um, the particular project satisfies the regulators because the regulators are you know part part of this process as well they have different rules that have to be uh, have to be followed and so you know for a customer uh, you can you know actually follow, you you know that these things are happening. It's just not some random ICO in some country that it's actually being regulated in a, in a good manner. Interesting. Um, let, let's go back to the the issue of regulation and the or say lack of regulatory clarity in the U.S. Right. Um, the the question I have is is how like how does Bitrix or how, how should we look at it from an industry standpoint? When it comes to innovation in this space in the U.S. versus internationally, um, and and the, and the way I'm, I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, if if the first generation internet was like you know Twitter, Facebook, or even like even before that Amazon, you know that sort of thing, and they're building and they're growing and they're they're startups that are sort of uh, breaking things and and running, um, what what does this generation of the internet look like if if is it harder in the U.S. and and are they going internationally? Like what's going to happen? Say. 10 years from now, when we look back, where are the good companies going to come from? Um, well, let me give you some just some numbers to help frame the response to, to that question. So uh, in 2017, um, you know, because Bittrex is a trading platform, we get a number of different projects that come to us to try to get listed on the platform. And in 2017, we had about, I want to say, 1,500 to 2,000 projects who came to try to get listed. And just for purposes of scale, we currently uh, list about 200 or so different projects, so maybe a little bit less than that. So you know, we have a pretty high um, uh, rejection rate. And probably about 80% of those projects came from the United States. They were US-based projects, people in the United States who were working on these projects. For 2018, we had almost 3,000 projects that came to us. And of those 3,000, I think we only probably listed uh, maybe 30 or so. So you know, again, a pretty sharp drop-off rate. But of those 3,000, something it, it actually inverted. About 80 to 85% were all from international international companies. And you know, today, the number of companies that come to us that are US-based is almost uh, negligible. Do you see that as a problem? <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. You know, we are, well, yes, in some ways, but I think there's there's solutions to this. So, you know, part of the thing about Bittrex is we are, you know, so proud to be in the United States where all of us, you know, I'm a former government, our chief compliance officer was a 25-year veteran of the Department of Justice. He actually was head of the anti-money laundering and, uh, group there and actually used to put, like, bankers and banks in jail for not doing money laundering correct, correctly. So like we take that stuff really seriously and we're actually glad to be in the US because of the strong regulation. It's actually more of the regulatory clarity piece that I think is the place where, you know, it's not too late, right? So there's there's a lot of stuff where people are trying to do and we're trying to help it, especially on the security token side, right? We, we actually have invested in a broker dealer. Like we wanna be able to list tokens that are securities on our broker dealer, which is separate than the Bittrex platform. Um, and so there's ways, I think, to get some of this innovation to come back into the United States. Part of it, frankly, is just education. Because 
like I get where some of the regulators are coming from, which is you want to go slow, you want to understand it. I mean, personally, um, you know, when I was at the Department of Justice in October 2013, we took down Silk Road, right? And for those of you who don't know, Silk Road was a horrible, horrible place. It was a marketplace for evil, right? You could get drugs, you could do like get hitmen and all sorts of stuff on that marketplace, and you paid with Bitcoin. So back then, like Bitcoin equaled criminality, and that's how I thought about it. Right, so when Bill called me and said, "Hey, I'm I'm thinking about starting a Bitcoin exchange," I was like, "Bill, what are you what are you doing? You can't yeah. do that." And so, but over time, you know, people start to understand, and me personally start to understand that there's a lot more to this than the criminality piece, right? And so, it's an education part. Like, we just have to educate people. And in fact, federal law enforcement right now loves blockchain. Like, you can do so much more stuff with blockchain than you can with cash. Right? It's actually a much better vehicle to find out where people are doing illicit things. I agree with that, by the way, and that's exactly why our license in the Isle of Man um, was was quite uh, well well done. Right? I mean, in, in terms of our application, and then when they audited us, they normally have a bunch of changes that come to you, and they say you got to make all these changes. But they really like the way that we're doing wallet tracking and that sort of thing. You just can't do that with fiat, right? And um, and no, that that's interesting. Um, I I wanted to kind of go to first let's let's talk a little bit about the broker dealer or at least the the idea of digital securities um, what does that look like and, and and when will we start to see digital securities trading on on the platform so right now we're still working with the regulators so the SEC and FINRA to sort of again educate and help talk through what does it look like right because everyone understands the different rules around securities like if you have a reg D offering a reg A like when you actually like registered to be a security so the hard part is, okay, now that you've registered to be a security and now you have these tokens that reflect those securities, how do they move around in the current uh, sort of system that's there? How do you do custody of them? You know, who's actually tracking it, right? So what's really interesting is in the security world, they have these concepts called transfer agents. And the whole point of a transfer agent is to sort of follow securities as they go, say, from JP Morgan to Ameritrade to E-Trade. But in the blockchain world, you actually don't need them. You have a chain. You have an audit that's actually public to everybody. But that's a really hard concept to get around. But there's some really interesting technology solutions for some of the pain points that are currently in the securities world. So part of it is like you know working with these regulators to help them understand that. But then you know we, there's also an education campaign to the issuers who are doing security tokens. Like what's the benefit of a security token over just doing a normal issuance? Right. So, so, so essentially, what we'll see is we'll see like a Reg D offering that happens to be a digital security. So, so that becomes a liquid, a liquid security essentially. And there's going to be some sort of reporting that goes along with it, but it's not going to be like going public. Right. Yeah. So Reg D is is definitely a step down from going public. Like right. today, traditionally Reg Ds are um, you know with a small number of investors and. Um, you know, there's a lockup period and there's all these other rules that go with it, which will still be the case with the digital security piece, but there are much easier ways of making it liquid when it's a token, uh, even under the current rules, than it is today when it's either like a spreadsheet or actually physical certificates. Okay, so let's just go back real quick and talk about what is the fundamental difference, if I were to ask you, you know, in, in like two sentences or less, what is the fundamental difference between, say, Bittrex and other exchanges? I think the fundamental difference is that um, we actually we take regulation super seriously in a way that we um, but we still want to promote innovation, 
right? So like people always ask like why does Bitrix like we get this question from uh, regulars all the time, which is you know other U.S. based companies only have like five or six tokens. Why does Bitrix have almost 200, right? And the answer is because we believe in innovation. Like we have no idea which one of those 200 might be the next Ethereum or might be the next blockchain that somebody wants to run their dApps on, but we want it to be on Bitrix and we're willing to you know, do that extra work. I mean, it's really costly to do the regulatory work to get these things online. I mean, sometimes like last year, it took somewhere between four to six months per token that we would put on because of all the legal, the lawyers and just all the back and forth gathering information. But we we're willing to eat those costs because we want to ensure that we were focused on innovation because that is like one of the primary pieces of Bitrix. Okay, that's great. So let's talk about then Bitrix as a platform to say, you know, like how, how do you how do you think of Bitrix as a platform to helping other tokens out there? Like, you know, for example, the work that you do with us or work that you do with other token teams, where do you see that going? And what is what, what is being an exchange versus being a platform for innovation mean? Yeah, it's a great question. So because we come from the sort of Microsoft and Amazon side, like we are really a, a tech company first and foremost. And so part of the, the sort of... Uh, the thing that we focus on is how do we make our technology available to others who want to use it? So, you know, I mentioned security, right? That security is how we built the, uh, the, the exchange or the trading platform from the ground up. So a lot of people want to use our wallet technology, right? So to secure the funds that they have. A lot of people don't want to build a matching engine. I mean, our matching engine is, um, you know, we've done some tests and it's probably as, as fast as some of the stuff you see at like NASDAQ and other places, like, and other people want to be able to use that. And so one of the things we're trying to do is make our platform available to others as a service, right? So if you don't necessarily want to come in and just trade uh, different uh, blockchain projects or buy Bitcoin or these other ones with fiat, but you want to do something else with the technology that we've built, we're enabling that to happen. So like, for example, if you don't want to be a money transmitter or be in a money services business, you can, you can utilize some of Bitrix's platform on your platform. Right. So if you're a if you're a legit token, uh, you should aspire to be as well listed on on Bitrix, a, along with perhaps other international exchanges and that sort of thing. But there's there's clear benefits to being on Bitrix. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the um, money service business one is a really really easy one because that you know for Bitrix we uh, do a know your customer check and anti money laundering check for every single one of our users, and it's costly to do that. But it's a service that we could provide to others because a lot of other teams need that, especially in the crypto space. And so that's something that we can, you know, you can use the services that we already have and the, the frankly, the money we've already spent to build this whole system and we can give it at a very sort of cheap, cheap rate. Interesting. Okay. So I'm going to open it up for questions in the audience in just a minute. Um, before I do that, um, just, just a couple of quick ones. So uh, if you had a magic wand and you could have anything you want for Bitrix, what would it be? Regulatory clarity. Huh. I would have said the same thing for Unicorn, so that's great. Okay. Um, and uh, and we're, we're kind of in a bear market. Like, we are in a bear market, right? But, you know, if, if you look back and say, you know, 2015 or something, you, and, and you, were, you, were, uh, you were able to look from 2015 to today and you'd see Bitcoin go from, say, whatever, 900 to $4,000, you would think, wow, that's not a bear market, right? But we're in a bear market. How long do you think this bear market lasts? And with that said, of the 2,000 coins that were created in 2017, how many of those do you think emerge um, out of out of the, the the rubble? 
Well, I think blockchain. So one is I have no idea when the bear market ends. Like, you know, we we uh, you know. I told Bill's story about how he has no idea like when Bitcoin goes up and down, like it's even worse for me, right? So I, I don't know when that ends. But I will say that the blockchain industry is no different than any other industry where you have a lot of different people come in, but you probably only have 10% of the companies that actually survive, right? And that's not because 90% are frauds or 90% are bad. It's just that sometimes you have projects that don't work out. So I don't see why blockchain is going to be any different than any other industry that's out there where there's the natural ebb and flow of projects that take off and those that don't. What are your favorite projects? Unicorn. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, okay. Um, okay. Well, let's let's uh, let's open it up for questions then. So uh, I saw your hand raised first. Um, maybe we can – are we doing a microphone or are we just going to call it out? Yep. Okay. Okay. So, microphone's coming over. Go for it. Hi. I just had a couple of questions. Um, real quick. Uh, as far as Bitrix, I mean, you know, uh, Binance has the BNB coin. Do you guys look at um, or are looking at something like that ever in the future? And then also, how has the OTC trading affected your your company overall since it's been a while? Yeah, I mean, OTC has been mainly a service that a lot of our big institutional customers have asked for. So it was, it was almost just publicizing what we've been helping those customers do already. Uh, and there's certainly been a lot of interest because of uh, both, you know, again, we're in the United States, but also we support a lot more tokens and projects than other uh, sort of U.S.-based platforms. In terms of the sort of the Binance coin and whether we're thinking about something like that, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Not anytime in the near future. I mean, we have a little bit, you know, one of the big things that Bittrex does, so there's two pieces from a sort of compliance regulatory piece. Like one is we don't allow any of our employees to trade, whether on Bittrex or any other platform, right? It's actually a firing offense if we were to find out that you did that. Uh, and two is that we don't trade on our own platform, right? Which is, again, different than even some other U.S.-based exchanges. Like if you look at the New York Attorney General's report from last year, they had articulated how there's other U.S.-based platforms that trade. And the theory there is we never want to be in a situation where our interests are adverse to our customers on the platform. And so that's why we, do, we have not gone down that path. Good question. Uh, over here, sir. Awesome. Great talk. So with IEOs, the trust is shifting to Bittrex. How are you scaling up and building for that? Because before it was the founder teams, and now it's you guys. Yeah, so we actually recently published a, a blog post to explain, like, what is our diligence? What do we do before we, we put an IEO up on the platform? Uh, but ultimately, so we do do, you know, just generally before anything gets put on our platform, whether an international or in the United States, there's a lot of, um, you know, information that we gather from the teams, a lot of other checks that we do. And we continue to do that in IEO, and I'd say it's even at a, at a higher level. And, but and you, even, you even recently pulled one. Uh, we did. Yeah. yeah I mean, because, again, like we, we believe, like, trust with our users is the most important thing. And so when we get... Uh, you know, that if something comes off that doesn't seem right, we'd rather pull something than go forward with something where, you know, we're going to feel bad later that we didn't take action at the time. So, you know, there's different things we do. But ultimately, in this space, you know, we try to give as much information to the consumer so they make their own informed judgment because it's up, ultimately up to them, you know, whether they're interested in a particular project or not. Thanks. Other questions over there? Um, 
before we get into that question, I just wanted I, I want to tell a little quick story that I remembered about uh, Bittrex. So I'm a Microsoft guy as well, um, and as I mentioned at Microsoft Ventures, we had this thing called the BizFark program. You all know what BizFark is. So, okay, maybe not. Well, anyways, BizFark is where you give a startup a credit of $360,000 on Azure or up to $360,000 on Azure. And, um, you know, Bittrex applied for that credit back in like 2015 and, and they got it. And, uh, and they thought, wow, this is amazing. We got a $300,000 credit. This is going to last forever. They're high-fiving each other. And they blew through that credit like almost immediately, like within months. And now like they're the biggest fintech company on Microsoft's Azure globally. Like, that's a crazy story, right? I, I just yeah. remember that. I'm like, wow, that's nuts. And not very many people at Microsoft even knew about it. Yeah, no, that, that that's true. It was actually, uh, I mean, I wasn't there at Bittrex at the time, but the, the founders always talk about that program and how it actually uh, made Bittrex because without it, they wouldn't have probably been able to afford uh the, you know, because again, it was sort of on the side project but they were I'm, doing. I'm telling you, out of all the years of BizSpark, right? Like, there's been some interesting successes and stuff, but there, there's never been any story like this. I, I, I can think that all out of all the years of BizSpark, I think Bittrex basically paid for all of it. And I think the CEO should look back and, like, you know, Satya should look back and say, holy shit, this program actually worked. Like, you, we, you should you tell know. him that. Yeah, I will <laughs> tell him that. All right, sorry, Dal, you had a question. Yeah, so. Um, you're inspiring me to uh, do some more trading on uh, Bittrex. It's been a little dormant for me on the trading side, so I appreciate that. Um, so uh, CZ was on Pomp Show uh, recently, and so he had a really interesting uh, but also rational view on listing fees. So I wanted to get your take on listing fees. Yeah, so we don't, we don't charge them at all. Uh, and that, again, is back to the philosophy of us trying to, uh, like, uh, push forward with innovation. So the last thing we want a token team to do is to pay us, right? We'd rather them take that money, pay for an extra developer, pay for legal counsel and others so they could do things the right way. Um, and so that's why we've never in the, uh, we, we've, we just don't charge listing fees. Um, again, it's, we just don't think it's necessary in the right interest for the industry. Got a question back there. Um, Let's say something is listed on uh, the international side. How long, if at all possible, or would it even be possible for to see that token or that project listed here in the states and have uh, folks access to that? For for example, like uh, Smartlands. Yeah. So it actually is very dependent on mostly uh, regulation. So some of the projects. So you know, the SEC in particular has been providing additional guidance throughout, especially the last couple of years. And so, you know, one of the biggest pieces of guidance they provided was about December 2017 in the Munchie order that talked about uh, utility, sort of present utility versus future utility. And if I'd had to say there's the biggest difference between, say, Europe and the United States is in Europe, they look at what the token is at the end of the project, and they say that's what it is today. So if you say, I'm going to build this, t this platform, and this token's going to be used for that platform, but I don't have the platform today, in Europe, they still consider that a commodity. But in the United States, they'd say, you know, it was not a commodity right now, it's a security now, but it might eventually become a commodity once you've built the platform. And so that's, you know, probably one of the big key differences. So when we think about things in international, um, you know, if they eventually build the platform and the, the token is being used as sort of, 
you know, a normal sort of commodity type token, then you can see a world where it could probably come into the U.S. platform. So it could be anywhere from months to, you know, whatever, yeah, depending on how fast the team is. Yeah, yeah. And, and frankly, it also just depends on how the regulatory environment keeps shifting a little bit in the United States. So it's something that we and our number of law firms that we hire uh, focus on. Interesting. Question here, sir. Hi, I'm a big pan, big fan of uh, of Bitrix and and your responsibility. It's actually my primary trading platform for years. So I say this from a place of love and fandom. Uh, I would say that through your responsibility, you've unintentionally created a situation where if Bitcoin were invented today, Bitrix would not list it. Do you think that's a problem? The only thing I would I would push back on a little bit is uh, we've created that situation. Like, uh, uh, kind of, we're responding. No, to I'm this, sh- yeah. I, I, surely you're yeah. you're responding. No, I think that's right. I mean, look, the 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 problem with the lack of regulatory clarity is that it creates a lot of risk, right? And we try to do everything we can to minimize risk. I mean, that's I mean, I've been joking a little bit, but that's why we hire a lot of lawyers to look at this stuff for us and give us their their best advice. So. Yeah, if Bitcoin today, it probably would be on our international platform, and you know. Right, and just for context for everybody else, uh, if a if a chain go, uh, applies to Bitrix, uh, the first thing that's asked for is a lawyer letter, assuring that you know. So, for example, I uh, I uh, happen to lead the uh, the largest grassroots coin launch in 2018, called the Telos Network. Uh, it's currently number two on Blocktivity. And it has 25 core developers. I live in Seattle. <laughs> We've tried every way to get in touch with you, but we can't get past that front door. We can't. So, so if that's, it's less about that. It's, it's if the if Grin is trying to come, if if the if the few uh, projects that are really working to follow every letter and really and really be a commodity and have without question, if they can't get through. Is that a failing? Is that something that is there a way to respond to that to improve that? Because shouldn't you be encouraging that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of different things. I mean, that's partly why we opened up our a non-US entity to be able to deal with some of these uh, like really interesting, innovative projects that we may not be able to list in the United States. And you still drive right a lot now. of volume internationally. Yeah. 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 In fact, we have probably most of our volume is, uh, or not most, but a, a huge, huge percentage is from international. So that, that's one. Two is, um, you know, just it's, sometimes it's a numbers game. Like I mentioned, we get 3,000 or almost up to 3,000 a year of projects. And so we can't actually look at every single one of them with the same type of rigor and detail, which is why we only list probably about 1% of those. We are trying to increase it a little bit through our international entity, but still we have, you know, various diligence and other things that we do. Uh, but you bring up a good point. I mean, our listing process in the United States is is pretty robust. I mean, we, again, ask for a whole bunch of information, but we do also ask for the teams to provide us a letter from a U.S.-based qualified lawyer that explains why that project, that token, is not a security under U.S. securities laws. And then we take that full package, including that legal letter, and we give it to our lawyers. And our lawyers do their own independent analysis. And only after that entire process is done would we potentially be in a position to launch something in the United States. So that's why that process can take between four to six months in some cases. And it's also, to your point earlier, why we're at a little bit of a competitive disadvantage versus our some of our uh, 
international competitors who may not even be in the Europe jurisdiction might be out of who knows what jurisdiction, and they'll just list it like that, right? And so now we're six months behind. So, you know, there is a price to pay, frankly, for doing things a little bit more responsibly. But at the end of the day, you know, I always somewhat joke about this, but our executive team is probably one of the oldest executive teams in crypto. And we sort of see the long run. Like, we're not in it for the next six months, the next year, we're trying to build a business that will be here in 10 years. And that might mean we're giving up, and we know we are giving up some short-term business gain, but it's also because we want to make sure we're doing the right things or creating the right base for the company. So, so from, a, from a token who listed uh, perspective, um, we started building our token economy in 2015, right? And and I'm not to say, I'm not discouraging you by saying it's going to take you years to get listed on Bittrex. I'm just saying that that we started building a token economy as a working economy, so we probably got a little bit accelerated when we built our, our ERC-20 token. Um, but with that said, yeah, I think I think once you have a, a working platform, I don't think it's a big issue. It just takes a bit of time, right? Uh, question in the back, and I don't know how much time we have for other questions, but I, I'll wait. Oh, there, we got a clock. Yeah, we got time. We got lots of time. Go ahead. All right, Mitchell here from CryptoSlate. My question is, if other exchanges are held to different standards, is it possible for Bittrex to compete internationally effectively in both the short and long term? I think um, it's harder in the short term, but we're very optimistic in the long term. And again, the reason is is that um, you know, blockchain and crypto generally is is difficult. It's complicated, and you know, regulators just need to be educated. But once they get educated, once they understand it, we've seen regulators start taking the you know right types of actions, and so. You know, we're not, again, we do think short term it's going to be hard, but we're hoping for a level playing field in the long term. Because, you know, one of the things, sort of the mantras we have at the company is like, we know we can compete against any company that's playing at the same level playing field we have. We just have better technology. Our guys, I mean, you know, because they come from the security background, not only do they have 20 plus years of experience as security engineers, but now they've had five plus of experience in blockchain. Like over the life of Bittrex, we've seen over a thousand different blockchains. So we we know how a lot of these like hacks happen. We've seen a lot of these things and we know we can compete just on security alone, not to mention all the other pieces of like scalability and you know of our of our technology. Yeah, and, and I think the next wave will will come in when we start to see all these digital securities get getting created, right? And when you have digital securities getting created in within a walled garden, um, it's going to be very much like trading on the NASDAQ, except you'll be trading on the NASDAQ 24 hours a day internationally. Yeah. So, so I think there's like an, another huge wave of uh, innovation coming and also you know, trading volume and that sort of thing for a regulated exchange uh, like Bittrex. So yeah, I, 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 um, I, I feel for everybody out there and what you're saying because I, you know, in, in my business as well, being in a highly regulated space, it's, it's sometimes hard to compete. But when you think about long term and what it means, um, you're, you're building like you're building the foundation now for something crazy down the road, you know. And I, I also question your um, your prediction of like the bull market, bear market. I, I'm pretty sure you could look at some data and make some predictive. Uh, I think one can do it. Yeah. I'm really bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, question in the back. First, yeah, question closer. about stable coins. I, I was I looked at a post the other day where it was showing the trading pairs and Bitcoin, Ether, and Tether are the the highest volume trading pairs in the world. And stable coins certainly have a place for conducting commerce, where you want to be able to predict what things will cost and commitments that way. So, 
What's your view generally about the importance of stable coins and, and how that's going to become cleaner? Because in the uh, foreign exchanges, there's probably a lot of front running and games going on in the stable coin world. Yeah, I think stable coins are a really um, uh, interesting development as of late. I mean, Tether really started it a few years ago. And, um, you know, there, I know there's been a lot of sort of uncertainty with Tether itself, but I think it really showed that that stablecoin model has legs. And that's why we see a lot of different people and a lot of different companies get into it, particularly because, you know, if you hold Bitcoin, you know, it's not as volatile now, but, you know, if you look a year ago, you, you could go, the ups and downs would be enormous. And in commerce, you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, one day you have $10,000 and the next day you have 200 in your wallet, where stable coins really solve that problem. So we're seeing a lot of people get into it. I think the next sort of stage of this is, is there a market for all these different stable coins? I mean, you know, again, as I said, we see a lot of the projects. I mean, the interesting thing about Bittrex, frankly, is that we see all the really cool projects that are coming and we see a lot of stable coin projects. So, you know, one of the questions is, is there enough of a space for all these stable coins or is this going to be some sort of consolidation to a few of them, uh, a few trustworthy Or maybe ones? like a stable coin index or something might be interesting. Well, hopefully it would be to one, but yeah, yes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, over here is a question. Um, we probably have time for like two more questions, I think. So, yeah. Thank you. Has Bittrex ever considered uh, implementing margin trading? Uh, yes. We have considered it. There are regulatory hurdles in the United States, but it turns out that internationally the regulatory hurdles are much less. So it's something that we're looking into for our non-US customers. Other questions? Way in the back. Way back there. Hey, what's up guys? Beatles here. Hey, so, you know, a lot of people here think that security tokens are, you know, pretty much going to be the future, right? So what is kind of your you know, long-term plans to embrace the security token exchanges? Do you guys plan on doing it, you know, here in the States, abroad? And then what, I guess, what aspect of security tokens maybe excites you the most? Like, where do you think the biggest use case is that uh, Bittrex and everybody else can kind of gain from? Sure. So we are, um, we're definitely in the security token space with uh, the broker-dealer I mentioned before. So we are working with... So the SEC and, and FINRA on that part of it. So we do believe in security tokens. We think there's going to be a market for security tokens. And I think there's a couple of different interesting use cases there. One is it's probably going to allow more people to do issuances in a way that uh, to issue securities in a way that actually gets wider distribution and and um, you know more people will know about it. Because what, what's really hard right now about Reg D offerings is it really generally goes to a small set of people like, you know, like uh, one example is we we know these folks in in Texas that do real estate, and and every every time they want to securitize a building, they got to go to the same 15 people in Dallas, who are the only people in Dallas who have like you know the capital to help them. Whereas security token offering on a regulated platform would actually open that up more, frankly, more in the United States and potentially even globally. So there's a lot on the distribution side and the participation side. The other thing, too, is there's just a lot more interesting things you can do with securities when they're easy to transfer, they become more liquid, uh, even just from a, a, a accounting perspective. Like if you wanted to do you know, dividends in Bitcoin, it's really hard to do that currently, but in a security token world, you could do that.
and it doesn't always have to be equity either. It can be profit sharing. It can be, uh, you know, security in a product. Um, it can be all sorts of things, right? So. That's right. So you can divide up the security token in a way that's very hard to divide up normal securities today. Right. There was another question there. Um, there's room for one more question. This is the last one. Decentralized exchanges. Any meaningful competition or any meaningful work from Bittrex on that side? I think the so decentralized exchanges, you know, really interesting from a technology perspective. I think the hard part and the part that I haven't seen people really try to solve for is the anti-money laundering and know your customer piece, right? So Bittrex, for example, like we could never do a decentralized exchange because we are subject to all these Bank Secrecy Act and other sort of regulations. Uh, so we have to know who our customers are. So once you have to know who your customer is, it's not clear what the what the benefit is for a decentralized exchange for an exchange like ours that's centralized already. Um, so that's one of the, I think, the toughest challenges in the decentralized world and also why we're seeing a lot of folks do decentralized not in the United States. Great. What's my question to the audience? Uh, well, um, I, I, I don't know. Let me think about that for a second. Um, yeah. Okay. My question to the audience is, um, you know, given the, the lack of regulatory certainty in the U.S., um, do you feel that it, do you feel that like the next venture that you go into, are you more, are you more inclined to try and get in and, and start your company in the U.S. or would you do it internationally? And, and, and effectively, you know, do you feel, uh, how, how would you get into the U.S., I guess? Um, it's really just about regulatory. You know, how do you feel about it in terms of innovation? Thank you for listening to the TF Blockchain Podcast. We appreciate your support as we continue our mission to connect the broader business and technology community with blockchain innovators. For the most up-to-date information on all things TF Blockchain, please visit tfblock.io. Please like and subscribe to our podcast to be the first to hear from our amazing speakers changing the world through blockchain and crypto. If you're interested in partnering with the TF Blockchain Podcast, please email us at podcast at tfblock.io. Be on the lookout for TF Blockchain chapters coming to your city, and please reach out to us if interested in becoming a chapter director. We hope to see you soon at one of our live events. Thanks for listening, and remember, stay crypto, my friends. The views and opinions expressed at TF Blockchain events and podcasts are solely those of the ones presenting and do not necessarily reflect the position or opinion of TF Blockchain. TF Blockchain is not responsible for the opinions or content of its guests and does not endorse any particular company or currency. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used to make investment decisions.